Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, this is good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. It's episode number 159. And over there is your host, Mr. Bull. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. I'm another host. My name's Mr. Lusk. That's what the kids call me. Anyway, I wanted to mention before we get started that uh, our last review show, our mm-hmm. last main review show was uh, 158.5, mm-hmm. and it was the movie Tickled, and I mentioned a lot about the cinematography, but I never mentioned the cinematographer, so I want to correct that. His name is Dominic Fryer. He's Tickled Cinematographer, and I was really impressed with his work, and the camera that he used was a Sony F5 with Fujinon Cabrillo 1990mm lens. Apparently, that's what the bulk of the film was shot on, so there's corrections there. I did want to correct that, because it's a glaring oversight on my part uh, about that movie, which we really enjoyed, and we recommend that you guys go see it. But this episode is the popcorn movie, The Legend of Tarzan. The jungle consumes everything. It preys on the old, the sick, the wounded. It preys on the weak, but never the strong. He is no normal man. He was thought to be an evil spirit, a ghost in the trees. No man ever started with less. He's Tarzan. You're Jane. He'll come for you. Legend of Tarzan, directed by David Yates, written by... Uh, Adam Kozad and Craig Brewster, and starring Alexander Skarsgård, or is it Alex Skarsgård? I have to go Alexander, probably. Alexander Skarsgård. Margot Robbie. I know you call her Margot. That's Christo- what her close friends call her. Yeah. Christoph Waltz and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Is it Samuel L. Jackson? I don't know. Either way, they're all four starring in this movie about Tarzan, and according to IMB, this man... Tarzan, having acclimated to life in London, is called back to his former home in the jungle to investigate the activities at a mining encampment. This is the second week in a row that the IMDb summary is not quite accurate. Because the mining encampment thing doesn't really work out in the movie. So I'm gonna start using I'm gonna start using some other form of plot synopses okay. for my I mean uh, it it's close enough. It's close enough. Like it gives you a snapshot, but it's not entirely accurate. Yeah, but it also doesn't spoil too much for you. I kind of like that. All right, Tarzan. What does this latest film version of Tarzan bring to the literary legacy of The Lord of the Apes? And does it have enough in it to justify its being hailed, as I said earlier, a popcorn movie? As a popcorn movie. It's definitely a popcorn movie. Is it good? Is it a good popcorn movie? I was thoroughly entertained by this whole thing. I thought it was awesome. I, I I was on board. I enjoyed it. It's definitely a popcorn film. 
I think it's a solid Tarzan film. I mean, and we'll get into some of the details and you're probably going to complain about the vine swinging scenes. I hadn't even thought about how much I disliked the vine swinging scenes. <laughs> no, I, I mean... Uh, I mean, there there are limitations to this story and I think now that we have all this CGI and we can fully tell them and you can feel like you're in the jungle and everything, the Tarzan story is showing its age. But... I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Alexander Skarsgård's Tarzan. I liked the look of him. Uh, I liked the way you know he fought and everything. To me, that was all believable. I thought uh, Margot Robbie was great as Jane, and they gave her stuff to do. She just wasn't the damsel in distress. Uh, Samuel L. was provided some levity. He was fun to watch. Um, the only person who really let me down was Christoph Waltz. Uh, his character wasn't that great, but I don't think that was Christoph Waltz's fault. You didn't like seeing Hans Landa again? <sighs> yeah, it was a bad version of him. It was the Belgian version. <laughs> the Belgian Hans Landa. <laughs> so, uh, no, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, it's fine for popcorn fare. The movie did well at the box office. It exceeded expectations, did north of $40 million, mm-hmm. And they were projecting at low 30s, possibly even like $25 million. I'm not sure yet how it's done overseas, but... I liked it. I want to see more. What'd you think? Uh, I wouldn't, I might be surprised if you're able to see more. I might be surprised if you're able to see another, another Tarzan movie with these same characters or same actors. Although I would like to see that personally. I would like, I thought Skarsgård was believable as Tarzan and he has enough of the cult of personality to make me want to see him as this character again. He was probably the best part of the movie for me. And I liked him as Tarzan. I would have liked him with black hair better, though. <laughs> and more uh, weaponry for him. As Tarzan, I always think of Tarzan as uh, having that knife, that, a huge knife. And I don't think he utilized the knife well. But that's sort of the iconography of Tarzan from my youth. Like diving into a pool of water with a knife in his mouth mm. to fight crocodiles or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he was serviceable. And I would like to see him as Tarzan again. I just... I'll never watch this movie again, I don't think. I, there are some things I've been to say. All right, because this is the point in the show where I ridicule the movie and I play the role of... Curmudgeon? <laughs> yeah, the cynical curmudgeon that hates popcorn movies and all that. So let me tell you what I liked about it. I liked the fact that my dad liked it. And I went to see it with him. And most of the audience I was with, it was packed. Um, the only two seats that were available was the seat beside me to the right of me and then the seat in front of me. I like that. <laughs> uh, pretty much everyone else that was coming in, they were coming in late. They were looking around. I was surprised. It was a Sunday afternoon, like four o'clock. Um, and the people laughed in the right spots. Like you said, they laughed at what the, the Jackson's character played. The guy behind me when it was over said, now that's a good movie. <laughs> so he was, he was satisfied. I really liked the production design of Stuart Craig. Stuart Craig's production design and the visual tableau, a lot of what the film had to offer aesthetically, I enjoyed. Uh, the vegetation, the hum- human-animal interactions, I thought were well-designed. Um, there's a scene where Tarzan sort of meets uh, up with some lions. Mm-hmm. I thought that was stunning visually. Were um, those CG? Everything was CG. All those... No animals in this movie. No, normally at the end you see a placard that says no animals were harmed in this movie. Mm-hmm. The animal that ran, or the placard that runs at the end of this movie says there were no animals in this movie. Just, I mean, clearly some of the other animals 
you could just tell they're CG because there are too many of them on screen. They're performing too right. well. But I kind of thought the big cats. Yeah. They're were playing real. I mean, and, and he's rubbing up against them. So there's skin folding, there's fur. Yeah. He did a lot of bunting. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah, apparently. The image also of the riverboat floating through the Congo, the Congolese jungle. I liked that at the end. Um, another thing my dad liked about it was the score. He was taken with the music. He wanted to wait. This is the first time ever my dad wanted to wait and see who did the score. And uh, I guess we have to give credit to Rupert Gregson Williams. Apparently, he also scores the television show Veep. <laughs> a little bit of a step up then for him. Yeah. I liked Hans Landa. I liked Sam Jackson. I liked he hit the right notes as comic relief. But overall, I can't recommend the movie. I don't think it holds up to other quote-unquote popcorn movies. And I can tell you why more later, but is there anything that I've said that you'd like to rebut or respond to? Uh, No, I mean, because you've been positive. I don't have to rebut (laughs) anything. I think this is more classical adventure storytelling. Like, this is the movie that they would have wanted to make in the 80s if they could have. But, you know, what CGI just allows you to do, set extension, I mean... There are some sweeping shots of the jungle and or the fields in Africa. Yeah. So, I mean, all that stuff is wonderful. So, the production designer I mentioned, Stuart Craig, also did the production design for Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. Oh, really? Yeah. Lord of the Apes. That actually has two subtitles. <laughs> um, and this guy is pretty prolific. As I looked him up, he did Gandhi, production designer for that, The Elephant Man, and Memphis Bell, Dangerous mm-hmm. Liaisons. And the mission. And he did a lot of work for um, the director Yates in the, uh, he's big in those Harry Potter movies, right? Yeah, and Yates Fantastic has Fantastic Beasts, Beasts yeah. where to find them coming out this uh, winter. So uh, I thought, I mean, like I said, any single, almost any single shot that you take out of the movie holds up mm-hmm. as a single shot. I just didn't like them all running together. One after the other. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you said the best part was Alexander Skarsgård. I think so, yeah. I wonder how big of a guy is he in real life? Because he seemed massive in this film, like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, yeah, four. he's 6'2". Okay, so because a lot of times actors really aren't that tall. And then just his uh, bone structure in his face. I mean, he's just got a big old head. You wonder how much of that is CG. I mean, they, they the, do CG in some... Uh, bone structure they make even a reference to that in his hand yeah that i was going to bring that up next uh when the kid asks him he puts his hand down on the ground and and you see the knuckles spread out and almost become bigger and stronger Mm -hmm. i mean and there are a couple shots of his hands he's got massive yeah i think some of that might have been cgi yeah i think so i don't know about the bone structure cgi the hands (laughs) i i mean it was like huh do you just want to like have your kid raised in the jungle? I mean, <laughs> get him yeah. nice and fit. I mean, but then again, I'm like, oh, this guy is six four. I don't right? think he's that tall. But I, yeah, I mean, he is he, a. I mean, he's a massive guy. I mean, yeah. he's already dealing with some good DNA. So being in the jungle <laughs> right. only accentuates stuff. But I, I was impressed with all that. And there's a scene where he's talking to his wife, and she's sitting in a tree, and he just kind of lifts himself up like it's nothing, mm-hmm. and like there's no bending of his body. He just kind of grabs the tree with his hands and mm-hmm. elevates. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did he really do that? 
<laughs> like it was it was Cirque du Soleil almost, and I wish they had more of those type of moments in the film. He's able to do a lot of that in that movie or that television show, True Blood, which I think you've seen. No, I mean I've I've seen bits. Well, of you know of him yeah. as being in there. Did you you saw the movie Melancholia though? Yeah, and he was sort of I don't know maybe he played a nice combination of the character Eric Northleet from True Blood and that character from Melancholia in that. He has to be sort of brooding mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. He's also in Generation Kill, that HBO series. Mm-hmm. Generation Kill, or maybe Showtime. I don't know. Um, yeah, like I said, I, he was the best part of it. I, I don't think the other actors, and I know you mentioned Margot Robbie as a highlight. I I thought she, I didn't like her performance at all as Jane. She wasn't, I, I, this is the part where I'm not, I have to ask you a question. Is she, I mean, I know she's an Australian actress. Is the character American or British? I thought she's American. I I don't know. I I couldn't tell. I I couldn't tell. At one point they said she was American. Yeah. I I don't know. At the end of it all, like I thought that she was, I, I didn't like her character. I didn't like the way her character was written. I know you said that, she's not just a damsel in distress and everybody likes to make a big deal about agency and their female characters nowadays. But I thought that some of the decisions she make were real. She makes were really stupid and sort of like her motivations weren't really fully explained or, or rational. Eh, So we could debate about that. They did give her just one super cheesy line. And I thought she did all right with, I mean, some of her lines of dialogue just aren't the best. I yeah. think she says to Landa, an ordinary man can do the impossible to save his wife. My husband is no ordinary man. Yeah. And it, it's such a ham-fisted, cheesy line, but she delivered it pretty well. There was a lot of that in the dialogue. Yeah, but see, I, I like watching good actors have to deal with cheesy dialogue. Like that's one of the guilty pleasures. If you watch something like daredevil, the original one mm-hmm. and watching Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin or Colin Farrell as uh, bullseye, they have some really bad cheesy lines, but they deliver them really well, but they deliver them over the top. I think they know that they're sort of in a farcical movie. I don't think Margot Robbie was playing it that way. I think she was playing it serious. I yeah. think she was trying to be dramatic in those moments. But and I thought she she carries it off. Yeah, I mean, they, definitely Daredevil is a little more over the top. But I like watching good actors have bad dialogue. Because yeah. I think good dialogue can hide a lot of bad actors' flaws. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that the... I, I didn't think her... her she didn't appeal to me as, an, as a character. I kept wanting to see Harley Quinn... <laughs> <laughs> as I was watching it, and she's going to be in that movie, uh, Suicide Squad, at the end of the year. And she's already gotten at the a spinoff. The summer. They've already announced that they want to do a spinoff she's, for Harley Quinn. I'm looking forward to seeing her in that. I didn't I didn't find her appealing in this movie at all. But I think that it was part of it was the way it was written. Um, Adam Kozad wrote Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greg Brewer did the movie Hustle and Flow. And the remake of your favorite movie, Footloose. Ooh. But he also wrote the underrated Black Snake Moan. And okay. I think he directed that too. Um, so I was thinking while he was, while I was reviewing the, you know, preparing for the show, that maybe he was writing 
that character, George Washington Williams, with Samuel Jackson in mind. And maybe that's why he he knew that he could rely on them to play a certain type of role. So it's it's different, I think, for screenwriters, or I think it's a good thing for screenwriters to have characters in mind when they're writing characters like this. The problem for me is, I guess, that that's that humor, that interplay, it didn't work for me. I, I didn't I thought that he was playing a, a part and I thought he was you know, I thought he was being sort of funny. Trying to be funny, but I think Skarsgård was in a different place, and he didn't. And their interactions seemed to clash. Skarsgård was trying to play him more, playing Tarzan more dramatic, and uh, Samuel Jackson was playing George Washington Williams as a sidekick in a sort of a as comic relief, and it just it didn't it didn't work for me. It was well, like yogurt and ketchup. Apparently, the editing process on this was really really long. And they, they had a fair amount of reshoots. And you could tell that the comedy, they came at it from a couple angles. There, there's a great uh, physical joke or visual joke on the train that Samuel L. Jackson's a part of. Mm-hmm. And I laughed and the whole audience laughed. Probably got one of the biggest laughs of the whole movie. But that type of humor wasn't really present in the rest of the film. Right. There were a couple of lines. And yeah. And that felt much more like uh, David Yates's British sensibilities and kind of some of the humor you'd see occasionally in the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. They seem to try and get that out of the movie. They cut, I, f- I felt, a lot of that stuff and instead replaced it with Samuel L. Jackson making quips and stuff. And you could almost see how those scenes, they could have gone back and inserted them into the mm-hmm. film. You know, at the end of the scenes, he, Sam would say something or it would be. Uh, a shot where you can't see Samuel L. Jackson's mouth and it's just him doing a voiceover type joke and all that went in. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. The comedy didn't always work. I, I wonder what the original cut of this film looked like. Cause like I said, I think there were much more physical visual jokes. Uh, Margot Robbie tries to get the better of Christoph Waltz at the end of one of the scenes talking about his mustache and he walks off and I thought that was a little odd. Like they haven't really been setting him up as too much of a vain character, you know. The, so I feel like uh, there were some scenes that were cut with him. He was so wild that his character was so wildly inconsistent from the get go that I was before the title sequence. Even I think I was pulled out of the movie, um, and it set a bad tone for me. Uh, like last week's The Shallows, the pre-title sequence or the opening sequence of the movie set me up for the movie, and it made me want to see more. This movie made me roll my, or the opening sequence of this movie made me roll my eyes and think, oh man, man, this is, this is going to be a slog. I hope <laughs> I can make it through to the end without, uh, being overly negative on it. Um, well, and that's hard casting because Christoph Waltz isn't a tall guy. He's probably five, eight, five, nine at best. He has to be able to pull it off with menace though, like Hans Landa. And this is Hans Landa light. And it's not, it didn't work here. It didn't work in this movie. I thought the real Leon Rom or Leo Leon. Is it Leon Rom? These two characters, uh, secondary characters, um, Christoph Waltz, the villain and Samuel Jackson, the sidekick are based on real people Mm -hmm. that, uh, existed in history. And the, and the real Rom was, had a, one of those like dastardly do right or dastard, whatever that guy, dastardly, uh, McFuddles, uh, villainous mustache that like twirled at the end. 
It's not dastardly do right. Dudley dastardly. Or something You're thinking like of that. Dudley do right. And then no, yeah, whoever uh, was the villain on that. McNasty dastard. <laughs> Whatever his giant. He has one of those giant twirling mustaches. So I'm wondering if they had chosen that affectation for him. If it, if they would have, if they had actually stuck to the more realistic character, it would have seemed unrealistic and tropey, mm-hmm. but that might've made for a better character choice for Leon Rom. Possibly. I, I felt like they were trying to design it that way, but, or in the writing at least, but in the production design, the costuming, he looks a lot like Klaus Klinsky. Um, in from, uh, oh, what's that German film where they... Fitzcarraldo? Fitzcarraldo, thank you, where they take the steamship over the hill, or over the yeah. mountain, right? And he's wearing this white suit the mm-hmm. whole time that never gets dirty, dries out instantly after he gets wet. Right, well, that's the trope they went with instead. Yeah, and I'm like, wait, isn't that all German? But he's supposed to be Belgian? Well... Is Belgian just German light? <laughs> Belgian is actually French light. Um... But they, it felt like he was playing German light. The real character and the real life guy is, um, is a lot worse than the guy that they presented in this movie. He is, he was supposedly the inspiration for Kurtz in the novel Heart of Darkness, mm. who eventually became, you know, transformed into Apocalypse Now. And that whole idea of going up the river and seeing, um, as, uh, the, the character in, um, Heart of Darkness, goes up the uh, Marlo as Marlo goes up the Congolese river. He sees the decimation of the um, people and it's manifested in like uh, limbs, you know, just dismembered bodies. And um, apparently this Leon Rom guy decorated his flower garden with heads of, (laughs) you know, of uh, natives. So um, his manifesto in the heart of darkness where, he was riding back to the, um, I guess they were. it was a rubber company or a rubber supply organization. He was riding back to them. He said, you have to kill everybody, I think is essentially uh, his takeaway, Kurtz's takeaway in the, in the novel, Heart of Darkness. Um, that guy is a lot more menacing than this Leon Rom guy in this movie. And I, I thought it would have made for a better character or a better villain. Yeah, and I mean, I, I felt bad about the enslavement and everything. And Tarzan's there, save the day. But ultimately, there was a whole lot of enslavement going on during this uh, colonizing of Africa, period. Mm-hmm. And it kept going on until, I thought, well into the 20th century. Arguably, it's still going on today. Right. Is, is, is Tarzan even there to save that or to save the slaves or something? That just yeah. seems to be a side note. I thought his motivation is to get to his wife. Well, he went at first to check out the slavery, and you know these were some of his friends. I mean, yeah, I he, don't know. He knows I mean, all these people. That's that's where the story sort of let me down. Like the whole reason for him going to Africa in the first place is obscure and doesn't seem to make a whole lot of but sense. But isn't that what happened in the stories? He would go and spend a lot of time in England, and then have to return for various reasons to go and try and save Africa. And from various maybe. dangers. I don't know. I, my knowledge of it is based on the television series Tarzan when I was a kid. Um, and he was basically just in the jungle the whole time with Cheetah and Boy and, you know, running around with the tigers and the elephants and stuff like that. So I, I didn't really know the whole Greystoke side of it until Greystoke, the movie Greystoke. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I like Tarzan. I wish that they could take that character and put him into something else, kind of like what they did with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Take Tarzan and make him part of the Marvel Universe. Go fight side by side with Black Panther. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I like Skarsgård. As you might have I, a better chance of seeing that than seeing a, a another sequel part. to Tarzan. I, the production budget aside, I mean, they're going to have to do big overseas. I think in order to justify making a sequel to this. I'm eager to see how this does play overseas. I would think it would do pretty well. I also think though trying to get back Margot Robbie is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. I think Suicide Squad's going to be huge for her and then she hmm. gets to do a or she's going to be in sequels. They could kill her off. <laughs> no, Harley Quinn's too big. And, no, no, they can kill her off in uh Oh, in, in the, Tarzan, yeah. No, Jane's an integral part. Yeah. Tarzan remarries. New Jane. Mm. Me, Tarzan, you, Jill. Yeah. Uh, Jane O'Brien. Yeah, I don't think Alexander Skarsgård, I don't think he gets much of a career boost from this. I mean, he's pretty much in the same spot as before. He's fine. I like to watch him. Christoph Waltz. If he can play We we always want to see him play a baddie, but he has played so many poor ones over the years. If If he's not in a Quentin Tarantino movie, I generally just don't care for his performance. Well, he's not even the bad guy in Django and Chain, although he is Hans Landa. <laughs> he's just a good guy. Hans Landa is a good guy in Django. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not really of, a bad guy, right? He's a bad guy in Spectre. Uh, yeah, Spectre. He wasn't great in Green Hornet. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So all right. So you recommend it? I don't. Predictable for everybody that listens to the show. <laughs> I want to have a bigger discussion on its definition of a pop, like the definition of a popcorn movie and how it fits. All right. Because I saw another popcorn movie recently and I want to compare and contrast the two, but I think it's better off in spoilers. All right. So let's Bring go ahead and spoil this thing. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil. All right, so this is my takeaway of good popcorn movies, and I know the go-to argument that you always have is Pacific Rim. You always say, you like Pacific Rim, but you don't like this movie. It's, I don't see how you it's can It's the only popcorn movie you like. No, because I actually liked San Andreas, and that's the other movie <laughs> I saw this, this weekend. All right, this is, what, this is my definition of popcorn movies. You see if, I, if you agree with my definition. And then you can add things or subtract things from it. And this is my standard. This is what I'm going to hold popcorn movies up to. Summer blockbusters are going to have to hit on these bullet points in a more positive than negative way in order for me to be able to recommend them. First off is effective action and stunt work. So I don't know how you can differentiate between stunt work and action in this movie because... I mean, I guess it, it's it's visual effects. I don't know if they had any stunt work at all. It could have been all in the computer. There were some fight scenes in there. Um, so this movie is about a six, I guess. Six, maybe a seven. I'm going to give. I'm it assuming a, this is at a ten and not a hundred. I'm not sure what your curmudgeon <laughs> level is on this. Uh, at a ten, I give it a six. All right. I think uh, popcorn blockbuster movies should have a witty playfulness and a sense of humor. And I think this movie tries, but it doesn't get there. So I'm giving it a four. I think it should have visual appeal where the effects are awe-inspiring. I'm talking about production design and stuff like this. This is up there around an eight. For me, it, it hits on the upper, maybe even a nine. It's like I said, you could take any f- single frame and I would put it on my wall. 
I think, almost any, any single frame. These are the two places where this movie drops off because the last two bullet points are com- captivating characters who behave consistently and po- and or possess motivations that cause them to act inconsistently. <laughs> so they either have to have a clear reason to act inconsistently or they just behave the way that they should behave. They behave like a character should behave. So you shouldn't all of a sudden, for example, with uh, Leon Rom, he's a cowering, uh, sort of quivering. Uh, he seems like a, a a person who doesn't even belong in the opening sequence until he fights the big warrior with his ninja rosary <laughs> and takes him down. And then all of a sudden he becomes a complete BA, right? And then later on in the movie, when he's interacting with Margot Robbie, he seems to have the upper hand, but then she has the upper hand and he becomes sort of, uh, you know, sloppy and inconsistent. And, uh, again, just, he doesn't hold his own against her. Which things that, uh, the, I'm talking, uh, thinking of the inter- interrogation scene where they're having dinner? dinner together. He wins at the end of that. He wins because he has her taken away, but he's, he doesn't, he doesn't really win. I, I don't think he ever has the upper hand with her. When she asks for the pepper and he leans over and she thinks, you know, now she's yeah. going to make her move, he catches her hand with the rosary. Yeah, not the Walks rosary. it back. I mean, if anything, he's sly. He's not He's not trying to project strength so that his opponent overestimates him. And then he attacks with the rosary. Yeah. There are other inconsistencies with the character that I just didn't like, but... He, he he wasn't he wasn't a good captain. He wasn't character. a great villain. Uh, and then finally, I think it has to have a compelling narrative that is intriguing and unpredictable, although coherent, coherent with a self-contained uh, logic. So in the movie itself, it has to be believable, and things have to happen that are believable, and, and it, it needs to propel itself forward. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, unpredictable if it's predictable in a satisfying manner. This movie, I think, fails in that regard also. So with the captivating characters, although Tarzan's good, I'm giving all the rest of them below average. And then with the compelling narrative, I'm giving this a below average. So overall, it's below average on three of these five major points. Oh, no. I no so. Okay, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean... I, I like Jane. I thought the whole story of Tarzan trying to get her back, that worked. Yeah, but... Okay. And, and I think that's one of the few things you can have Tarzan go and do, is be the rescuer. I, I think just with the way his character is set up, he's better at doing that than having to like defend a settlement against attack or something like that. Yeah, it works better as a... He, he's it, good it as a It works better chaser. to a point, but the story lets you down on that. Because it, it, you think that at one point that he's rescued her, but then for no reason, no discernible reason, Hans Landa, or sorry, Leon Rom, Christoph Waltz takes her from the mountain to the the seaside um, village when there's no reason for him to take her. He should just leave her there? She was bait. Okay. She was bait to get Tarzan to fight uh, Jaman Hansu's chief Banga. That was the only reason she was there. He gets, he gets Tarzan to climb up this mountain. Banga gives him, chief Banga gives him the, the crate of diamonds 
which is a ridiculous MacGuffin. That whole thing was ridiculous. And then he leaves. He gets on the riverboat and re- leaves. Why does he take Jane with him? There's no reason for him to take Jane with him. I think that was an underdeveloped idea that he really liked Jane. He's leering at her in quite a few scenes. At the beginning of that dinner scene, he's hiding behind that changing curtain. She's like, I can see you. And he's like, oh, yes, you can. Yeah, but that, it wasn't I, done well. That wasn't done well. Yeah, it, I, doesn't, it doesn't set up the motivation for that character to do that. I, I think that they hint at his infatuation with Jane. I, I, again, I feel like some of his scenes with Jane were cut in the editing process. Okay. I mean, that's just that's the feeling I get. I have no proof of that. Uh, I like Tarzan, though, chasing after Jane. And I think, again, that makes... For me, it's compelling to go like to, to pro wrestling for a second. There are certain wrestlers who whose best storylines have been when they're chasing after the belt, the championship. When they hold the championship, they're a much less interesting character. That you know, they're better as the challenger than as the mm-hmm. champion. I, I think the same thing works with Tarzan. And if he got Jane back in two thirds of the way through the movie, it would take away a lot of the uh, velocity of the film. Right, but they could have set it up differently. They could have set it up so that um, he needed Leon Rom needed or had a, a motivation to take Jane with him because at the very end, he, di- I mean, he's not even in control of her at all. Even even when they come to that village, the village of uh, uh, I don't know Bunga or whatever, yeah, the uh, seaside port. One of his lackeys has him in a closet somewhere or something. So I don't know that that. That whole last act, and then the denouement that follows, um, just fell really short for me, in terms of storytelling. And then visually, it didn't make a whole lot of sense either, because I, this is a, this is again with inconsistencies. Like, does can Tarzan? Does he talk to the animals? Like, can he talk to me? Because he tells Samuel Jackson at one point he can talk to the elephants with his eyes. Well, but no, then the you, animals talk with their eyes. They well, ha- the elephants they have, do. He, yeah, d- he have, didn't say the other ones. Yeah, but the elephant's eyes speak a more complex you never, language. You never see the elephants again. Chekhov's gun theory. He he comes. He sees this herd of elephants, and he speaks to them with his eyes. And they have this communic- this this deep, communi- soulful communication. You never see elephants again. Hmm? It would have made a lot more sense instead of having a giant pack of wildebeests come flying in at the very end. Racist wildebeest, by the way. You notice they only ran over white people. <laughs> These wildebeests targeted white people. Yeah, that's what you need to start the Twitter feed on. <laughs> the racist wildebeest? Yeah, yeah, hashtag that one. That's going to do well. Uh, yeah, this movie is inherently racist. But it's a whole lot more wildebeest Mighty than it are elephants. I mean, they only had like 20 elephants there. To run yeah, through a whole settlement. Back in the 1800s, there were quite a few elephants, quite a few more elephants than there are now. That would have made more sense in terms of storytelling. Made it might have been harder to do, but it would have been. It might have even been. It would have made more sense in terms of telling the story, and it would have made more sense visually. But instead, there's a combination of wildebeests and lions running through <laughs> running through the the lions were helping the to, to uh, push the wildebeests on. Oh, they were they were like, like the sheepdogs. Jo- <laughs> wild because because they're friends with Tarzan. He's known them since they were babies. I get it. <laughs> um, I want to see the monkeys come and fight for him more. Yeah, no, it didn't really happen. But yeah, we needed more monkeys. But it made more sense for me: elephants and monkeys instead of wildebeests and lions at the end. And then finally, crocodiles that he communicates with, and we and that even Does that he gets cut short. Or are they just out there? 
I think he calls to him. He communicates with him in some weird fashion. So there's large herds of animals running around with no consistency or no honest will. It it got me excited for the upcoming Jumanji remake with The Rock in it. Okay. You didn't like Jumanji? There's a popcorn flick for you. Uh, No, I did not like Jumanji, but... uh, You mean the curmudgeon didn't like popcorn? (laughs) It's not even that. It's... I mean, it's Tarzan. But there's also, this movie cuts things off where things that could be really cool. You mentioned earlier the vine swinging incident Mm -hmm. on the train. When they actually land on the train, they don't even show that. They show one or two of the natives doing it, but they don't show Tarzan with um, Samuel Samuel Jackson on his back. Instead, it's obscured by a tree. And that's just a, that stuck out more than anything else to me. Oh, see, I kind of figured that they were going to have to do that because... Why not? I mean, it's hard to do, but... Yeah, and to make it look graceful and everything. I mean, uh, plus they had that train going so fast, and these guys are swinging so fast on I the know, vines. I'm let down by it. I'm let down by it. And with it. the way they can, like, make the vines go back and forth. I, There's so many things... All that those they, crazy physics. That they showed, they showed so much, but then they didn't show enough. Mm-hmm. Um well, I also like everyone in Africa can just jump from the top of a mountain and crash through tree <laughs> yeah, tops. Just and, and that I didn't mind as much. I, I wouldn't have mind if that was the point in the film where we left Samuel off. He went, no, F that. Yeah, and then he walks down I mean, and eventually he makes it there. No, no, there's a scene early on where they jump off. No, and, I, and I all the it. other natives. And he goes and does it. I don't care if I just saw. All my buddies jump off a hundred foot bridge. I'm not sure. jumping again. That's the inconsistency, and and things are being cut off. It was, it's fun. What about the scene with the the hippos? That looked awesome until it wasn't. Until she starts. Jane running dives through. in there. She dives into the water, and then these hippos come after him, and then they disappear. It's just a letdown. I well, I didn't like that the bad guys were able to catch up to him so quickly. Yeah, she's captured, recaptured like. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, they're, they have a huge head start, and it's raining, but yet they're able to be tracked. At one point, she goes, they'll be able to follow my footsteps. <laughs> and she's, like, running in a stream. So, yeah, But know. you know what? I laughed at it. I can find just as many plot holes and found just as many as I was watching Pacific Rim, a movie that you forgive. It's not that I forgive. Pacific Rim works. And uh, San Andreas is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it works. There's still consistency among <laughs> characters and motivations. I mean, there are some things that I don't like about it, but for the most part, it works where this one doesn't. For me. And I'm not just saying that. I honestly feel that way. I think if I compare it against this rubric, I know why I don't like the movie as much as I would have, as much as my dad did, for example. You think Pacific Rim had compelling characters? Yeah. No. Michael Mori? Striker Pentecost? Are you kidding me? Pentecost was all right, but I mean, he was like so many other. I uh, cried in Pacific military. Rim. <laughs> okay, and they're making a Pacific Rim too. Yeah, and I'm, make I'm happy about. It. I liked Pacific Rim, but I don't think it had great characters. I just think it had a lot of visual eye candy. No, I still think the the characters. I I'm not giving the characters all of the characters in the movie together worked in a more positive way than in this movie. The Margot, like th- three of the four main characters in this movie, I didn't really like at all. And uh, Jaman Hansu as Chief Mbanga, mm-hmm. that fight is cut short like that. That final epic fight that should exist between Tarzan and mm-hmm. and 
um, that chief is, he's cut off. They, they talk it out. <laughs> they have a conversation. They, uh, and then the random whip rosary thing as a weapon. That was. It, it was original. It was original. All right. I'll give it that credit. I will give it that credit. Uh, just wasn't believable. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Anyway, so that's those are my problems. I All have right. With uh, I'm not surprised. And honestly, this is probably a more positive review than I was thinking you were going to give this. It's a good thing you went and saw this with your father, and he You're had right. such a good time. Because I think if we just the two of us went, you would have disliked the movie even more. You're probably right. You, I wanted to say something positive about it. You always scold me about that. I thought, well, maybe I can see it through the eyes of people that enjoyed it. Like the guy behind me, um, there's a, there's a line in the movie. I, I'm not going to blame the audience for me not liking the movie. But the guy behind me, the guy at the end that said, well, it's a great movie or whatever. Early on in the movie, uh, I think it's before the title, uh, the, the opening scene, um, Chief Bonga says to uh, Leon Rom, he says, there's, there's one thing that you can do for me and you can have these diamonds. I need to bring you... I need you to bring me one name. And the guy behind me says, Tarzan. <laughs> I was like, wow. All right, Sherlock, way to go. You you nailed it. You nailed it. You know what? Boom, nailed it. I got it. I got that one right. You know what? The movie's nailing its tone for its audience. It, it's like when right. we show movies it's to pandering. our students. What is the tone? What is the style of acting that they the students love and they respond to? Melodrama. They love the melodrama. They <laughs> love the over-the-top acting. All right. So you think this appeals to uh, to the masses? sophomores and to me? High school I, sophomores. I enjoy and it. to you? Like I said, I, no, those with a with a high school sophomore mentality. I I Fair have enough. a soft spot in my heart for popcorn flicks. Proud of you. <laughs> so right. there you go, Mister Two Frames. Or well, I, I gave you a positive review, and I'll try to do that from now on. All right. Cool, but cool. hopefully they won't have to see more popcorn movies this year. Oh, this Are there any left? Oh, we got tons. Star Trek? Oh, yeah. Born? I had to close my eyes during the trailer for Born. Suicide Squad? Yeah. All right. Have we seen Ghostbusters? I'll hold it up to this rubric. I don't know. Maybe. Right. Uh, next week we're reviewing Secret, Secret Life, of, Life Pet. of Pets. Yeah. Are you on Team uh, Clyde? Or, or do you do you want the new guy? Oh, Duke, or am I on Team Duke? Yeah, or Max. Team Max? I'm team Clyde. Oh, I gotta go for Duke. I, no, I, I like big, big dogs. Dumb, big dumb. Do, do, do. Yeah, <laughs> I like right. big dogs. I'm on Team Max. I hope Max wins. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be like that. No? I don't think it's going to be like Captain America Civil War. So, right. no, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, do we need an update on the box office challenge? I mean, it's not really very challenging anymore, is it? I'm up 79 million, and we both have three films left. And of the three, all three of your films supposedly are rated to do higher than all than my highest. Really? Film. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Star Su- Trek might get uh, around 80. I don't know if it'll do that. I, I think Suicide Squad's up there. 80 or 90. There's no way. I I, I don't think I have a chance. So hey, I'll, sir, I'll sir. be walking uh, in my boxer shorts to school the first day. With your Hitler mustache? <laughs> yeah, I'll be wearing a Hitler mustache and wearing just boxer shorts. Nice. No, I doubt that. That's well, not going to happen. <laughs> Since you couldn't decide on a I like the Sriracha punishment. milkshake. 
How about the old man haircut? <laughs> You're already halfway there. Oh, okay. So, you know, uh, the Tarzan, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, mm-hmm. that quote never really happened in the old Tarzan movies. Oh, uh, it's like, play it again, Sam. Yeah. Never actually got said in yeah. Casablanca. I'm Jane Parker. Understand? Jane. 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 So, uh, for uh, Mr. Ryan Bull over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm Richard Lusk, Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. All right, Tarzan. He's one of the world, he's probably the world's most recognizable character by a British author not named William Shakespeare. No. Really? Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. All right, if you if you had a picture of Tarzan... Bram Stoker's sh- Dracula. All right, if you had a... T- <laughs> <laughs> they would be in your top ten, but I think if I were drafting for a, uh, a team of literary characters that people would recognize on site, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, see, Frankenstein is the Doctor Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster is something else. So I if didn't you put say Frank- the monster, I said Frankenstein. Yeah, but if you put Frankenstein up there, no one would recognize who it was. I don't think. Okay, Frankenstein's monster. He's still recognizable. All right, but if you were going to do a top ten, I don't know. Tarzan might be my pick, though. Tarzan might be my top draft pick. You could pick someone else. It could never happen, really. I mean, that's a ridiculous argument. Nevertheless.